2: At LuckyLandSlots.com,
1: available to players in the U.S. excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
2: Welcome to the Broadway Gives Back podcast. I'm your host, Jan Svensen. This podcast spotlights Broadway actors, shows, and organizations in their pursuit of social impact and philanthropy. Join us as some of the brightest lights on Broadway share their stories about their favorite charities and how they got involved, and the people and the causes who benefited from these philanthropic efforts. My guest this week is a familiar face on Broadway in film and television. Nick Wyman was recently acclaimed for his work opposite Brian Cranston in Network, his 16th Broadway show. Other credits include Les Mis, Catch Me If You Can, On the 20th Century, My Fair Lady, and the original cast of Phantom. For 25 years, Nick has been on the governing board of Actors Equity Association, including five years as its national president. I am so thrilled to have him here today. Nick, welcome to the Broadway Gives Back podcast. Thanks so much, Jen. Well, it's great to have you. And, um, most people would not even believe it, but you have been in over 100 commercials, hmm. 16 Broadway shows, so many film and TV roles. I'm thinking like Die Hard with a Vengeance and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Boardwalk Empire, One Life to Live, and my favorite, Veep. Um, but I wanted to have our listeners get to know you better today. Right. And obviously, we're going to talk about being of service, but I wondered if you could answer a few questions for me first as a little warm-up. Sure. Okay, so we're going to do these as quick as possible, like rapid fire. Bang, bang, bang. Here we go. Choose three adjectives that describe you. Um,
0: Tall, (laughs) uh, smart, um,
2: kind. Yeah, your kind. Favorite Broadway show or movie quote?
0: There's there's a, there's a quote from Les Mis where, where Valjean sings at the end of the show, um, uh, she was never mine to keep or something like this. I, and I'm, I'm butchering the, the quote, but it's about his sort of foster daughter, Cosette, and, uh, who falls in love and, and he, you have to let your children go. And it's a thing that means, resonates with me.
2: Hmm. Well, what do you most give a damn about? My family. What dream do you have that you've yet to achieve?
0: I'd like to write a screenplay and see it produced.
2: Where would you go if you could be invisible?
0: Maybe the Oval Office. I don't know. It could be scary too. Um,
2: (laughs) Name one of the things that you're most proud of.
0: Um, Being president of Actors' Equity, I guess. And also parenting my son, Tommy. Those are the two things.
2: What are you most grateful for today?
0: I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful. Um, I'm grateful for so many things, but I mean, I'm, uh, the the blessings that I've had in my life, the the un unearned gifts that I've been given, and uh, just happy to be, uh, you know, healthy and 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 married to the woman I've been married to for forty two years.
2: Mm, congratulations. Thanks. You know, Nick, you are very much the definition of a working actor because um, you've done so much. Um, in fact, you published a book called *Climbing Rejection Mountain*, mm-hmm. which is a guide to making a life as uh, and a living as an actor. And I just wondered, how did that book come about?
0: Um, I've well, I I've thought about for uh, a long time about how you know acting schools and conservatories and whatever do a lot of stuff about teaching you, you know how to act and scene study and, you know, and, and, um, and yada, yada, yada. But, um, it's the nuts and bolts of how to approach the business and how to, how to work things out and how do you, you know, how do you go about getting seen? How do you, get, what, 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 do you, where do you get a picture? You know how, what your, should your resume look like? And, and, and how do you, you know, get ahead in the business? and um, And there's a whole bunch of uh, just things you learn over the course of you know trying to be an actor about um, what works and what doesn't work. And I wanted to get some of that down um, in uh, in in book form. I've been been like passing this on to younger actors over the years and teaching some classes in in this regard. Um, And also, I I wanted to. um, It wasn't just about you know. Well, this is how you should. Uh, this is what you should say in an interview with an agent. It was about, this is, this is the approach you should take to, you know, your career as an actor. And this is the approach you should take to life. And this is what, what's going to serve you in terms of, you know, facing the difficulties and let's face it constant rejection as, as an actor, no matter how successful you are. Um, and, uh, it's, it, it sort of correlates with, um, my tenure as president of the, uh, stage actors union, actors equity, um, in which, you know, that's a, a union, there are 50 some thousand members and of which a third of them, only a third work in any, at all, in any given year. And, um, most of them in that work earn far less than you need to make a living. Um, and so it's, it's a very difficult business and it's full of you know, failures, if you will, that can make one feel resentful and bitter and and, and angry and other not very useful um, adjectives. Um, and what I tried to do as a president was sort of like, remind people that although they may feel as though, gee, I'm not as successful as, you know, as Nick Wyman or as Danny Burstein or whatever, but you are far more successful than most people who want to do this for business. You've been managing yourself into this union, which very few people get get to be in. And you have had success that many people have not had. Um, and, uh, you know, rather, you know, create a, a positive attitude about your life and, and don't feel bad about yourself. You never know when, when, you know, good things, wonderful things could happen. So keep trudging.
2: So the book is kind of part business and part, psychologist in a way you're giving you're offering them therapy and and you're also also offering business advice on on their acting careers
0: i don't know about therapy but it's but it's but it's up if it's trying to you know give them some some approaches that that will enable them to feel better about life And and it's it's a bit of a memoir too it's filled with anecdotes from my checkered career um as an actor and uh you know lessons that i've learned from the mistakes that i've made
2: so just can you give us one example of one of your anecdotes and one of your lessons that you've learned from your life
0: <laughs> let's see um well uh you know networking is is wildly important um and uh, it's amazing how you know one's connections with people move 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 forward um the uh yeah, so you know i I had worked with hal Prince um on the uh, on the twentieth century, and when I replaced Kevin Klein in that show. And uh, when he was doing fan of the opera, he wanted to work with a bunch of people he'd worked with before. And so when I was auditioning, I think he looked favorably upon you know my being there. And that was uh, an example of how networking works for you. Another thing is is um that you need to be generous to your fellow actors. Um, and I talked the book about how uh, when I was playing in Les Mis, I once reduced a Madame Tenardi understudy to Tears, just by oh, yeah. Yes, by my, the judgmentalism that was pouring off me as, you know, you know, bits that were like surefire bits were not working, you know, because she was new and different and, and whatever. And I made her feel terrible. And I thought, well, you know, as I, I didn't realize I was doing this, but, you know, once I saw her in tears, I realized this, and I, you know, and I try now to, you know, be more appreciative of people who are different.
2: Hmm. And you published this book during the middle of a pandemic.
0: <laughs> well, that wasn't a plan, certainly, but I mean it, 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 <laughs> uh, it uh, you know it's been in the works. It, it, it's a very slow process. I wrote this when I uh, had some surgery back in I think uh, 2015, 2016, something like that. Um, and uh, and then I you know I, I tinkered with it for a while and I realized that I had been despite my advice that you know don't be afraid of rejection. I was afraid of rejection, and I hadn't been sending it off to publishers. So I finally, you know, graded my life, sent it off to publishers, um, and uh, and got accepted about maybe two years ago, two and a half years ago. It was a while ago, twenty eighteen, maybe. Um, and I thought it was going to come out in twenty nineteen, but no, um, <laughs> it came out in twenty twenty. So, um, so. And the pandemic. So there you are.
2: Now, speaking of the pandemic, um, have you? How have you and your family fared through everything?
0: Um, we, we've been, you know, knock on wood, we've been very fortunate. I mean, one of the one of the graces, one of the uh, good fortunes for which I am grateful, is that I'm I'm a man of a certain age, and uh, as a result, I have pensions. I have pensions from defined benefit pensions from three unions, um, as well as Social Security. So money comes into my bank account whether I'm working or not. So I don't need to be running off and auditioning and and, uh, and being on stage or being on a film set in order to, you know, pay my bills. Um, so, you know, we just sort of hunkered down and uh, and watched a lot of TV. <laughs> oh, I've
2: I'm, been sure lucky. I'm sure you saw yourself. Um, <laughs> I tried not let's to. Talk about, let's talk about equity for a second. So 25 sure. years as, you know, in equity and five years as the president, um, what was all of that like for you and like, how did you sort of move up the ranks and, and being president, what were your, what were your aspirations and what do you think you achieved in those five years?
0: Wow. Um, I can't point to a whole lot of achievements in, in, in my five years. Um, about the time that I was, uh, in Phantom of the Opera, um, there was a big kerfuffle about, um, Cameron McIntosh wanting to bring Sarah Brightman over as a star. Which means that she can come over here as of right. And the Council of Actors Equity said no, we don't think she's a star and so they would have been open to some sort of I don't know what exchange process or something, but whatever, this um, infuriated Andrew Lloyd Webber and um, who was wife Sarah Brightman was at the time and uh, and Cameron McIntosh. and so he threatened to bring the show to Toronto instead of to New York and and how Prince came um, to the council and made a pitch in in person the the council turned him down i was in this show and i was like what's going on who are these people who are making these decisions this is my you know (laughs) this is my livelihood why why you know so i joined a couple of committees about the production contract and about you know international actors um then called aliens and uh in this process, I met Patrick Quinn, who was then you know, like a, a counselor, and he wanted more working actors on the Equity Council because he felt he didn't sit well with the members. I think you know, a bunch of people never work there, you know. Yeah. So I ran for council, and I I joined joined the council, and I was on council for like twenty years or so. At that point, you know, Patrick had sadly passed away, and Mark Zimmerman was president, and Mark decided to step down. So we needed a new president. I looked around the room. And I thought, I think it should be me, based on who else was there, and so. Um, I ran for president and was elected. And uh, it's a job that, you know, you could spend 24 hours a day doing it and it wouldn't, it could still take more. Um, There's so many emails to be answered and and decisions to be made and committees to sit on and, and, and things to think about and try and make better. I worked on trying to bring the voice of the actors who didn't live in New York. The actors who lived in Pittsburgh and and, and Louisville and, and and St. Louis to the council so they would get more of a sense of what it was like for people who didn't have, you know, the experience of, you know, running around the Times Square trying to get jobs. I tried to also, you know, be conscious of the fact that how fortunate I am um and that most of the my members, as I talked about earlier, you know, aren't working and it's a really tough life. And to try and keep their spirits up.
2: So as we record this uh, podcast, it's um, the week of Broadway's reopening.
0: Yeah. And
2: um, so it's been an exciting week here in New York. And I wondered, um, what do you hope the Broadway reopening will bring for actors and for audiences?
0: I just hope it works. I just hope it succeeds. I am so, um, I'm I'm so glad I'm not a producer or a general manager. let alone an actor, uh, but I mean, the idea that, that, you know, this Delta variant and people, even though you're, you know, vaccinated, you could still get this um, uh, COVID. And if you do get the COVID and you are one of the people in, um, in this cast, okay, you step aside and your understanding goes on, but how many other people need to be quarantined or, you know, uh, and, you know, will people think it's safe enough to come back? You know, I think clearly we've demonstrated as those shows that, you know, just reopened that you have enough you know, fervent Broadway fans in the local area who will come and and, and yell and holler for a night or a week or a month, um, but once with their ma- with their masks on, with their masks on, yeah. But after after <laughs> that point, will you get the people who need to fly by plane into New York and come to see Broadway shows, or will they decide, you know, I'm going to wait until next year? I mean, I'm I'm very anxious to how this goes. So what I what I hope for the shows and the actors is that it rolls out smoothly. That you know the producers make their nut, that the uh, the actors have a job, and that it, that it keeps going, that it doesn't. You know we don't have another you know, shutdown sometime in in you know January or something. So fingers crossed.
2: I was there on Tuesday night. It was oh. amazing, and um, you know I I was. I was a little nervous, um, to be honest, but I felt really comfortable—more um, comfortable than I thought I would be—and um, it was—it uh, was really special. And as long as people had their masks on, it felt—it felt really safe.
1: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?
2: So I want to pivot now into talking a little bit more about the idea of philanthropy. And, um, and I wondered, you know, first of all, how did you learn to be philanthropic? Do you learn that? Or is that something that is like osmosis or that you see modeled for you by your family members or um, sort of how did, how did this idea of being of service come to you, Nick?
0: Um, Well, I think there are a couple aspects to this. I mean, in in terms of, philanthropy we think of you know financial uh giving for the most part um and when i was growing up my father was sort of living hand to mouth or you know hand to missing mouth um and uh, so you know there was no like extra money to sort of like you know well who what 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 chair should we endow at this college you know um it was um you know will we be able to pay you know keep the heat on um and have, have something other than peanut butter for for dinner but as i got you know became an adult and was, was my own person, I began to realize that, well, know, I'm, I'm, I'm not living hand to mouth. I have some extra money and I can, you know, I can, I can give money to other people. Um, and I can help out my sister, for instance, who needed a, a a loan for a, a job project. I can, you know, I can give money to charities. Um, and that's a very wonderful, uplifting thing to do. It's great. I've, I've never moved into the, you know, the state of being wealthy enough to give pots of money that make a difference to organizations. But I do, I do support a number of, you know, organizations in my small way, Actors Fund and Broadway Cares and, um, uh, and, you know, things that do international good. Um, uh, I also support, um, two organizations, uh, YAI and WJCS, which deal with, um, People have developmental disabilities because my uh, youngest child, Tommy, my son, who turns 30 tomorrow, um, was born with a rare syndrome and he has a developmental disability. And that was a watershed moment in my life in, in that I, I realized I didn't want anybody to treat him as less than. And I had spent a lot of my life treating other people as less than because I was so smart. You know, I was a Harvard guy, and I was, you know, so tall, blah blah blah, and successful as an actor, and, um, and I realized that, you know, none of that stuff is, is, you know, is like some hard work on my part. I, you know, nothing I did made me tall or smart, um, and, uh, and that I needed to be a little kinder and more thoughtful of other people. I needed to be less self-centered and more other-oriented. Um, also about the same time, I got involved in uh, 12-step work, sort of working on myself and becoming a, a better person, if you will. And um, one of the quotes from uh, Bill W. Uh, in the AA Big Book is, uh, a true ambition is not what we thought it was. We realized true ambition was the profound desire to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God. And um, I have tried to live usefully. I have tried to be of use to other people. And part of that is being of service. And I have been of service in um, my work with the union. I've also been in service as a mentor and a sponsor to various people in 12-step groups. Um, I've mentored a lot of um, young actors uh, in in the business. I have tried to be uh, someone who um, is there for other people when they need some assistance. Um, because I think, you know, what I'm here, and I talk about this in, in my book, Climate Protection Mountain, a fair amount, in that service, I mean, why why we're here is to make a difference in the world. And so part of how I can make a difference is to be um try and make my children healthy, happy adults. Um, I can also try and uh, uh help other people in their in their journey through life and you know, give them some guidance and support. Um, and uh Rather than thinking, you know, well, if they're not, you know, where I am. It's their own damn fault. I generally try and think, you know, well, how can I, how can I bring them up to par with me? And that is a very gratifying thing. It, it, I feel the more you, more you give, the more you get. I think is is the way it works. Um, and uh, I've been been given a lot, and I uh, try and give as much back as I can.
2: That idea of the more you give, the more you get, I think is very. Um... Very true. And many of the other guests on this podcast, we've talked about exactly that as well. Um, I want to talk about this idea of being of service in a minute, but I want to go back to your son, Tommy, first. Yeah. Um, we, You and I share um, a bit of uh, some commonalities when this in this area. Um, I have a daughter, Lena, who just turned thirty, uh, who is uh, has a rare genetic disorder, which has left her developmentally disabled and um, and with some physical issues as well. And uh, that changed my life for sure, and her sisters, and uh, our family. Mm. Um, and and I think that it just puts things in perspective in a way that nothing else can and uh you do see things from a different point of view and you want people to be kind to your child and understand them and respect them right Mm -hmm. so you try to educate people and you try to um bridge those gaps in some ways um i know that i uh I started a program in the school district where my kids went and it was called learning from our differences. And it was about understanding people who were differently abled. Um, and I think that program still going on, which is really cool. But um, I have seen on your, uh, as we talked about, uh, we're Facebook friends and I've seen your posts about Tommy and, and it just reminds me so much of things that I've um, felt about my daughter, Lena. Um, so with regard to your fundraising and your, um, your, uh, work with, uh, the organizations that support Tommy, um, wh- you know, talk a little bit about that. What is, you know, what, how do you give back to that? And, uh, being a philanthropist is not just about money. It's also about, um, giving your time and giving your blood, sweat and tears and your love. Right. Mm. And I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about how you have, um, done that with regard to Tommy and his issues. I
0: could have done so much more. It's one of these things where you think about um, one of the things about having um, uh, a developmentally disabled child is that you can pour, you know, forty-eight hours a day into this child, and it's still you could still do, be doing more. It's also true about this whole arena of of the differently abled, if you will, the developmentally disabled. I mean, New York State, where we live, live needs many, many, many more group homes for people who have this thing. Um, the people who work in these group homes are paid far too little i try and you know i be generous to these folks um you know at, at holidays and whatever when i when i can i am also i go to um albany to the state capitol once a year or so with the to talk to various legislators and and people in charge of the the governmental bureaucracy about you know reminding them that you know, we care about these folks and this is important to us and this and we vote and um and putting some some pressure on them not to lop off the uh, funding for um for these folks i I feel abashed to talk about you know my fundraising which is minimal um uh, you know or even the, the the work that i do for um for these organizations yai and wjcs um but it's they it's it's they are so useful in my life um i'm very grateful to them and i try and do what i can to to move you know to keep them afloat and move them along
2: You know, so many people come at the idea of whether you want to call it philanthropy or social impact or charity or cause or purpose, being of service, whatever you call it. Um, Many people come to that because they've had a personal situation, um, as we have, where there's a family member who's in need. Um. We just had, so you mentioned Danny Burstein earlier. Danny was on this podcast and we did some fundraising for Project ALS in honor of um, Becca. But a lot of people come to this because it affects them personally, right? But, um, you know, there are many ways to look at philanthropy and look at that idea of being of service. And um, one of the guests that I had, uh, Dan Pallotta, um, actually looked at this very academically. And now with your Harvard hat on, huh. I would ask you to think about it this way, that, you know, instead of looking at, you know, in addition to looking at it sort of personally and getting involved in personal causes, just really think about what is really important to you. And that was the advice that he was giving the listeners. Think about what really resonates for you, what you feel passionate about, do research about it, and then pick one cause or pick several causes that you are going to devote yourself to. And, um, you know, write a check or, you know, donate your time or energy or whatever it is to help generate awareness. And so I feel like there's a lot of different ways to go about um, being philanthropic. Mm-hmm. And um, some of them are very personal and some of them can be more cerebral. Uh, and I, I guess for you, in some ways, you've got the personal with your son, but then you also have the cerebral because you've been involved in a lot of causes that Support actors um, and Broadway Cares, as you mentioned, and the Actors Fund. So it's kind of, you know, there's kind of two sides, is a left brain and a right brain side of philanthropy too.
0: I think it's all part of one side of the brain. I don't know which side of the brain it is, but I mean it's it's all about the point of view that we are interconnected, that we are all one organism. That, you know, we may look different. You know, it's like there's there's some area in the Pacific Northwest where there's, you know, there's like field or forest of mushrooms where it looks like oh my look at it you know thousands of different mushrooms no it's all one mushroom it's all underneath the you know the surface of, of the ground is this one organism which has a whole bunch of little shoots that's sort of who we are i mean we are we are basically one organism that has you know what three and a half billion heads or whatever four billion heads however many we are on this planet at the moment um and that rather than thinking that you know I've got mine, Jack. The hell with you. Um, Not in my backyard. There's that thing in the Jewish religion where if you save one life, you save the world. It is diminishing um, ourselves to think of ourselves first, foremost, and only. It is expanding ourselves to think of others and and to to see. Our job is as lifting as many people as we can, as raising as many boats on on that rising tide as we possibly can. It can be overwhelming to think, oh, there's so much there's so much need in the world. There's so many, you know, and it may be well as as Damp Lotta said to uh, you know, to focus on one thing and and, and give all your energy and time and, and and money to that. Great. I think you know you you can you have a variety of approaches, but I think the important distinction is that it's not about you. It's about us, and when you get in that head, that mentality, that we're all in this together, and how can I be of use? How can I be of service to others? That's the frame of mind in which you know good things happen and and progress is made. When you're in the frame of mind of you know it's a zero sum game, and whatever else somebody else gets takes away from me, then then life doesn't work. That you know then. <laughs> it's like sand to the machine, or whatever. So, that's my take on it, with my Harvard hat.
2: I like that take. Uh, but what would you? What advice would you give people um, about helping to create a better world and how individuals can actually do that? I love the concept of us. Um, how can people like? What what specific advice would you give as to how to be a better sort of human in our collective humanity
0: for me and I think this works for most people what I've had to learn is that I'm okay and I'm enough I have lived most of my life thinking I have to be spectacular in order to be even okay I'm okay I'm, I start from being okay and I'm enough you know I don't have to get every job I audition for I don't have to you know earn a million dollars a year I don't have to I don't know what um have the, a perfect backyard lawn you know I'm okay I'm enough. When I come from that place, I'm no longer so needy that my life is all about grasping and grabbing and trying to find things. It's like, you know, oh, I'm okay. I can relax. I can sort of like you know, lift my head up and, and look at other people and see other people and see other possibilities for what I can do with my life rather than thinking I have to keep scrabbling and clawing and climb my way up further this, this rejection mountain. So you know, I, I think the important thing is, is to realize, I would say to anybody, you're okay and you're enough. That's all. And, uh, out of that, what can you do to be of use in the world?
2: It's a perfect way to conclude this podcast. And, um, Nick, you are okay. And (laughs) you are actually more than enough. (laughs)
0: Back at you. Thank you so much for
2: being here today. You're so welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Broadway gives back podcast. Broadway gives back is part of the Broadway podcast network. Special thanks to my producing partner, writer, editor, and friend, Jim Lochner. And thank you to everyone at BPN, including Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, and Kimberly Garris. I'd also like to thank Julian Hills from the Bulldog Agency and Eric Becker from Broderick Street Music. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also follow Broadway Gives Back on Facebook and Instagram at Broadway Gives Back Podcast. And on Twitter at Broadway Gives. To learn more, visit vpn.fm/BroadwayGivesBack. Thanks so much.
1: 18 plus.